Welcome to the Stop Suffering in Silence podcast with your hosts, Denise Walsh and Rachel Timothy. Hey, 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 you guys. Welcome back to Stop Suffering in Silence. My name is Denise Walsh. I'm here with co-host Rachel Timothy. And today, Rachel has been doing some research. We are going to really dive deep and talk about a topic that I think a lot of people are confused about. Uh, and the topic is called disassociation. And so, Rachel, I'd love to just start with why this is something you wanted to talk about, how you first learned about it, how it impacted you to understand that this is how your body and brain were responding, and then we can get into the new information. Yeah. So I I remember when I first learned about it, it was from a counselor who was explaining it to me as, yeah, this is normal for the trauma you've been through. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I didn't know it was a thing. I, I didn't know how to explain dissociation other than I don't remember <laughs> what happened or um, I kind of zone out basically. And um, it was interesting because then it we went on this journey of, well, I've been on a journey of several different counselors because, you know, I've had some pass away and then just moving and all these different things. But um, with each counselor I met with, I learned another piece of dissociation. And I'll never forget having um, an opportunity to share that I had dissociation. And somebody said, that means you have multiple personality disorder. And I said, no, I don't think that's correct. And so whenever I went and asked my current counselor about that, um, she was like, no, do not let anybody tell you you have multiple personality because you don't. There are different forms of dissociation. And I was glad to hear that um, because, I mean, I didn't feel like I was a multiple, (laughs) first of all. And um, I want to be able to explain what does happen with my brain, especially to law enforcement, you know, with the court situation coming up um, with anybody really who's going through something similar to understand what it is that your brain does. um, It's kind of empowering. The more you understand, the more you can help other people understand too. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine the first place you go is the hospital and the police and all of these people who aren't giving you this information. They're just saying, okay, what happened? And you are unable to say in a linear form, this happened. This is what happened first and second and third. And you can't do that. And so how did people treat you when you couldn't give a linear answer easily? Well, either you're lying or you're crazy. Um, And both make you feel terrible. Right. Right. And so you're, you know, as a, someone who's experienced chronic trauma or repeated trauma, right? You're walking around feeling like, oh my gosh, I must be the broken one. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine it was really freeing to learn that, no, this is your brain actually did exactly what it was meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think reading uh, Body Keeps the Score was helpful for me as well. And um, just learning that this is the natural way that God created our brains to dissociate whenever something too painful comes along. It is a blessing in so many ways, because when you look back at the things that I've been through, had I not dissociated, I don't think I would mentally have been able to get through it. I think I would have cracked. Well, and we, I've heard of some stories of some girls who ended up really not being able to function in regular society. And we were talking about like, why? And one thought, one thought was, is perhaps because she didn't disassociate, she remembered most of her trauma that she really couldn't function. She didn't trust herself or others or the world around her at all. And so for you, you had a bit of a a compartmentalization that allowed you to survive in that moment, but then also function in the real world today. Yeah, exactly. And so being able to then just recently, like trying to put words to exactly what it is my brain does, uh, led me on this rabbit trail, rabbit hole of learning about dissociation and all the different forms of it. 
And what's interesting is almost everybody experiences dissociation to some degree. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of her just telling me what she learned on a phone call, we thought, let's record it because I'm sure other people would be interested in hearing about all these different forms of dissociation, whether you're a survivor or a supporter. I think this is all super helpful for us to recognize as being the way our body works. It's not somebody being strong-willed. They're not telling you for, you know what I mean? There's a lot of things that we can do to judge each other in the midst of this crisis. And so to have an understanding of how our brain works is helpful. So you're right. Okay. So one of the, one way that disassociation happens is when we just kind of zone out. And I think you mentioned before we pressed record that it could be driving to work. You like get to work and you don't even quite recognize or realize you got there because your brain is thinking about other things or in la la land or thinking about what you're doing after work and you're not in the present moment. Yeah. It's almost like you're kind of on autopilot. I remember uh, being in college and I would go to the gymnasium every day, you know, like I was on the college basketball team. So I was constantly there and there would be times instead of driving to class, I would end up at the arena and be like, dang it, this isn't where I was supposed to be. But I had gone on autopilot and just drove there. Right. And what would this dissociation type be called? Well, so it's dissociative amnesia. And I think, so just like all of these, there's going to be levels, I guess, um, on like occasionally dissociating, occasionally losing time. Like, oh, I don't remember the last five miles driving. That's normal. Um, But there are degrees of it where it gets to become a problem where people forget a talent that they have, or they forget something about their personality. Um, They maybe have gaps in their memory. So this is where, for me, I had gaps in my memory from what took place as, as a child. When I disassociate as a child, as a protective measure, that amnesia led to where I didn't exactly know what was going on to be able to tell somebody what was going on in the moment. And so in your situation, would you find, you know, for, for somebody driving to work, they might not have forgotten the last five miles, but they know they were driving to work. You know, they know what they were doing or, you know, you walk into a room and you go, what did I need again? Shoot. And you walk back out and you try to trigger your memory. You know where you are. You know that you were driving to work or that you're in your house. Did you kind of come to and not know where you were or come to back at home, but it had been hours. Tell me a little bit about how that worked. Um, I don't really know how to explain that completely when I was a kid because I wasn't understanding what was going on. Um, I think I knew things were off. I think I knew things were not normal, um, but I didn't stop to even try to decipher what was going on. I remember um, being like, for example, when I would be taken to that white house and then I would come back to the school and I would clean myself up, all of that I didn't remember until years later. But I do remember having conversations with classmates of, oh, you got to practice up at the high school and trying to figure all of that out. Um, so I don't know if that makes sense. So when you're a, a child, it went away and it didn't come back until years. So that's when the flashback started. And maybe I don't know that that's the dissociative amnesia, but I think so. Like based off what I'm reading, that's kind of how I see it in my own life. Um, because what, what else people call that repressed memories? It could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know exactly, but I know this form of dissociative amnesia. Um, it can be to an extreme where you forget pieces of who you are. You know, we had survivors who, um, once their trauma happened, they forgot that they had the talent of playing guitar. And it kind of got re-brought up in our conversation doing 90-day U-turn. Right. Okay, keep going. Tell me more. (laughs) Um, So that's the first one, dissociative amnesia. Um, Okay. And then another one is just an emotional dissociation. And again, I think this is something that people can... 
experience whether they've had trauma or not, but sometimes you just emotionally disconnect from the present moment. Um, I think sometimes you can see it when somebody's experienced maybe a sudden shocking loss, you know, like they go almost in autopilot again. Like they don't show the emotion side of things until much later because they almost dissociated from their emotions for a time. So this one would be more like maybe like the feeling of shock. Yeah. Like their body is in fight or flight mode or tensed or like holding their breath in a sense. And they don't actually release or experience the emotions until later. Yeah. Yeah. That's my understanding of it. Um, and I also wonder too, and this is just me brainstorming. Um, but I wonder if there's certain emotions that you dissociate from that you're unable to pull out in needed times. Like for me would be anger. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? This, this one emotional dissociation reminds me of a trigger perhaps where something happens and you're emotionally responding. And so now you're not present here in the moment of what's happening because you're emotionally back to either an old experience or that old memory or you're, you know, what if thing I wish, you know, you're, you're in your brain rather than in the present moment. And so you're asking if emotional dissociation could mean you have a hard time recognizing and feeling specific emotions. Is that yeah. right? a disconnect from certain emotions or mm -hmm. is this when I go nine? I think this is when you go nine, uh -huh. okay. but I think that a part of you going nine is not being allowed to have specific emotions. And so that maybe area of yourself never really developed or you, you know what I mean? Or you haven't, didn't get practice with it or when you were angry, potentially in the past, it was, stuffed away. Like we don't do that. Um, gaslighting kind of a thing where you're not allowed to have that emotion. And so that is maybe a bit stunted, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which I think it could be a helpful emotion for me at times. So okay. I don't know. So emotional dissociation, that does remind me of a trigger. Okay. So you're, yeah, that's looking at it totally different than how I was. That makes sense though. Okay. So how are you looking at it? I was looking at it more of like losing your emotion, being disconnected from your emotion. Like not even having that as a part of your wheelhouse. Yeah, because I remember when I first was sharing with Granny my situation, you know, there were no tears. There was, I was just like what she would say, a shell of a person, you know, like there was no emotional connection to what I was actually experiencing. Right. You were super calloused. Yeah, I guess meaning. Yeah. And, but I would agree that that certainly could be a piece of that too, where you're so disconnected or so compartmentalized that. And numb. Yeah, for sure. Um, another one that I'd be curious on your, I'm going to read this one actually, because it's called depersonalization or derealization dissociation. Um, it's where you have the feeling of being outside yourself and observing your actions, feelings, or thoughts from a distance. Derealization is where you feel the world is unreal. People and things around you seem lifeless or foggy. You can have depersonalization or derealization or both together. It may last only a few moments or come and go. Um, over many years. This is not something I think that I necessarily have battled. Uh, defense mechanism. That's the word. Okay. Like a defense mechanism where in order to handle the emo experience around me, when I look up this depersonalization, it says there's four stages of it. Okay. And um, basically, it's this feeling that's just detached from one's body. So it's like you're on autopilot going through the motions. 
and you're, you know, your body may be experiencing something, but you're not there. You know, it's interesting to me because there were times when I remember one of my counselors would have me walk through a flashback or a memory and she would want me to see it from a bird's eye view and be able to look down at myself where it was happening. I think to have purposefully that detachment of feeling it, but this is where I would always end up in, in the flashback um, and not be able to really have that bird's eye view. It's, it's hard for me to, to do that for whatever reason. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what, uh, what did I, what is that word I just said? Not a coping skill. It's a defense mechanism. So I think our body does that so we can survive it. Right. Where you are kind of seeing yourself top down, but it sounds like you've never really had that experience or been able to recreate that experience. No, I've tried. Like we purposefully would work on that, like keeping myself pulled out of it and just being able, well, similar to that Dr. Q stuff, being able to just say the facts, not emotionally Mm -hmm. get pulled into it. Um, And it's very, very difficult for me. Okay. Um, So then another one, this is, this one's, I think, confusing and where people often uh, decide to go ahead and politely turn and walk away because <laughs> they think you're nuts. Um, but it's called dissociative fugue. Hmm. And this is what I did or have done whenever I would be triggered and I would leave the house and I would, I would not remember that process of leaving the house, whatever took place while it was gone and then coming back until for me, it, it sometimes took years, sometimes took days uh, to remember what happened and why I left. And um, and unfortunately, it was during the time when I was unsafe and I was triggered purposefully to that fugue state. And but this is something where, I mean, you try to talk to a, a police officer and they're going to say, so you you willingly left the house. Well, technically, no, but it appears that way. I mean, there was no force. Um, and it's, it's going in this dissociative fugue state. So tell me more about what the fugue means. So in a normal dissociated state, you're kind of zoning out, you're in la la land, you're not really, you're on autopilot, your brain's not there, your body's going through the emotions with an emotional dissociative state, your emotions are, um, disconnected and not engaged with really real reality at this time, whether it's, I don't feel anything or I'm feeling something that's not happening right now in the fugue state. That seems like a whole nother level Mm -hmm. (laughs) of dissociation where you don't quite remember. Like, so I guess I would like to know, is it just a spectrum or is this completely different? I just know it is a form of dissociativeness and that it typically comes from repeated trauma um, as a child. And I think, um, hi, Jax. I think think it comes from programmed or just the repeated trauma that sends you into a fugue state of separation and obeying in my mind situation. Okay. So in this state, it could be external on purpose to kind of trigger that dissociative state. Yeah. And I think this is where I, I lose so much support too, because it's, it is hard to understand and I can't explain it all, but, but being able to see that there is a word for, okay, like here's why you can't remember it. Here's why you left. Here's why all of that took place. And you come back to the house and you have no idea why your body looks the way that it does. Um, because that is extremely difficult to understand. And it's not multiple personality. You're not a different person, but you are somewhat in this fugue state, this different state of mind, in a sense. Can you read the definition again? Okay. What this says is um, it's a temporary state where a person has a memory loss and ends up in an unexpected place. People with this symptom can't remember who they are or details about their past. 
Other names for this include fugue or fugue state. Does it say how long the like fugue lasts? Is there a range? Um, it can be as short as a few hours or they can last for days or even months. When fugue states are shorter, it's harder for others to see signs of them as people with this might look like they're just late or absent from their usual comings and goings. When fugue states are longer, people can find themselves far away from their usual surroundings. They might try to take on a new identity and build a new life for themselves, which can last until their memories return. Wow. So, okay. Is, are there any more? Any more dissociative states or more understanding? Mm -hmm. Any more dissociative states? Yes. Uh, well, so then one is dissociative identity disorder. And this is DID, which is now the term used for multiple personality disorder. Um, this is not what I have, but it is something that commonly happens, especially if you've had abuse. I think it's younger than five. Um, yeah, I would say in the first life. seven years when your brain is developing. Yeah. So it's, again, it's a protective thing. And then so in DID, something, whether it's a physical trigger, like an outside trigger, or a potentially even an internal trigger, like an anger, sad emotion, something, then the person switches to a different persona in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then when they are one persona, if they go back to the main persona, do they remember or not? And I bet that could even be different. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've heard, I had one counselor talking to me about it one time, and I remember him saying, you know, he's got a client that has a hundred different personalities. Um, oh. And what they're trying to do in counseling is bring them all together into one personality. It's basically, it's, it's almost not even that you're two totally different personalities. It's just that your personality has been split and mm -hmm. categorized. And so I, I mean, I don't think that they necessarily remember, but I guess I don't know that. Yeah. I would, I would guess they don't remember, but, but it's kind of like this persona or person like sliver of the personality is the one who handles this. And then this sliver of personality is the one who handles that. And so the main persona, the goal from what I've understood is that they, you know, you kind of bring your main, bring these, those sliver of personas back into the main persona by, and, and you integrate it through talking to that person, you know, how we've done like the inner child work type exercises, mm -hmm. talking to them, um, reassuring that person and, and bringing them in to the main persona. Now, I don't know that I had people with DID that I don't, I had schizophrenia and delusions and things like that, but not necessarily multiple personalities. So I don't have experience with bringing them all together, but that is what I would kind of expect. Yeah. I, I remember sitting in counseling and we were, we, it, there was obvious signs of dissociation, but we didn't necessarily know you know, which one of these I was dealing with. Um, of course, this was not how easily I was explaining it at the time either. Um, we would just know that I was leaving the house and being hurt and unable to remember. And whenever I was present mind, I couldn't tell you how to get to wherever it was that I had been that night. I had no idea where, even though I drove there that night before, I had no idea where it was in my present mind. But I remember sitting in counseling and, um, the guy was talking to me about like trying to remember where I was and what I was doing. And then he would say to me, now, what is your name when you're in this state? And it, I didn't have one. Like it wasn't, that wasn't the, and so it got confusing until it didn't because we were able to then say, okay, this isn't who or what I'm battling. Um, right. But when you're trying to figure out what exactly this is in order to heal, it, it was confusing for a time. Well, and isn't there a story and where you were, something happened where then you were triggered into that new state and then you could get to the house? Yes. Oh, yes. That was one way that, so I knew that there were girls hidden in a, a 
small shack like place. And, but I didn't know how to get to them. And when I was in my present mind and so um, our counselor actually talked with me about how, if I go into that fugue state, um, I could drive there. And so that's what me and granny did. And with as many safety precautions around us as we could, um, we put myself in a situation where I would be triggered to go to that state. And um, I was able to drive there and we were able to figure out the location. We just unfortunately were not able to get law enforcement to help in rescuing the girls. It's a whole nother conversation, but, but it is interesting to think about the fact that you could essentially trigger yourself into that fugue state. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and the way that I did it was I I got in the car and I began to drive to places where uh, abuse had taken place. And that's what sent me into that fugue state. And I immediately then went to this place and um, we didn't stop. We didn't like have conversations with anybody there. We hightailed it out of there actually, because as soon as I pulled into the driveway, somebody came like behind us and started following us. And um, so it was, it was scary for a moment there, but we then went back uh, to granny's house and I was able to explain like based off my memory where the, the shack was and we were able to pull up uh, Google earth and sure enough, whenever it was winter time, you could see the shack in the woods when it's summertime, you can't. Um, so we knew it was there. We knew that I had led us to the spot that we needed to. Um, but you can't just apparently get a search warrant based off of somebody in a fugue state. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> But what I think is interesting when we talk about the multiple personality and trying to integrate those slivers of personality into the main personality, when I think of someone in a fugue state, and we all have, I'm sure there's times where, you know, you don't remember something until you get back into that state of mind. And now all of a sudden you have those memories. But for you, it's kind of like bringing those fugue state memories into your main like present state. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then trying to make sense of it. Right. And that's part of what flashbacks are. Yeah. Yeah. And it it doesn't make sense. And I'm on a recording. Remember? No, no. The answer is no. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay. Um, where were we? I went into a different state. (laughs) (laughs) well i think that is the like um the question was flashbacks are when some of the memories from the fugue state are coming into your present state of mind and it doesn't make sense and you don't quite understand it but the goal is and froze of how did i get there and how did i get back and like how do you then explain it to a police officer and you know how did you know that this is the place you're supposed to go? And I mean, you don't have those answers. It's. So is the goal to incorporate the fugue state memories and experiences into present state? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. For me, it was more, we need to stop going into the fugue state. Okay. Step one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That needed to stop. And so, um, and a lot of it had to do obviously with the area I was living in. I was surrounded by people who were purposefully pulling me into that fugue state um, with these bad guys and such. So getting me away from that and getting me to a safer place helped me gain the strength to not be as easily triggered into that fugue state. And then, um, then comes the, figuring out the memories and and, yeah. And I think, you know, it sounds so off the wall, but we have to remember, first of all, just how intricate and amazing our brain is that the way that God made it. I think a lot of us, like we only tap into just a small piece of what our brains are capable of. And I do think trauma pulls out a deeper uh, amount of, brain space and ways of coping. And, um, and I think then, so not only do you have this super intricate mind, I think we often forget just how severe some of this trauma is when you're a child. Mm 
And when you combine those two things, it is going to create a dynamic in your brain that doesn't always, oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Now I get it. You know? Well, especially for someone who hasn't necessarily experienced. Right. And I get that. I do. I totally get that. And, and that's why sometimes I avoid even trying to explain it because you, you can just see the look in people's face of, am I listening to a sci-fi movie right now? Like, and so you, you kind of listen to the crowd a little bit and like, okay, this is not somebody who's going to be able to take this in because it's so far from what they know. But understanding the power of our brain gives us, gives you the power to understand what's happening, know that it's not crazy and, and then do potentially something about it. So what are some things that you have done? Oh, there's more. Okay. There's one more that I definitely want to talk about because this is one of them that I am currently working on and it's uh, dissociative flashbacks. Okay. And so in this one, it's not that you go, I remember when I would, I guess, zone out or dissociate early on around granny, whenever we would be like working through the abuse and stuff, like what I had been through. And she would think that I would just go to this happy place in my brain. And that's not at all what it is. I'm not going to a happy place. In fact, I dissociate, dissociate into a flashback and it's um, extreme in the sense of like you're, you don't, you feel like you can't even get pulled out of it. Like you feel like you're trapped in it. You're stuck in it. And well, especially if you don't have the ability to see yourself as a right. bird or, you know, a bird's eye view of it. You're a, in a flashback. You're experiencing that trauma yeah. physically, emotionally. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, like there's search, certain situations where, for example, let's, I mean, talking to the police, if, if you struggle with dissociative flashbacks because of the extreme abuse you've been through, one of the things that triggers it is talking about it. Is anything that's going to bring up those memories? Well, that's what you have to do when you're trying to explain what happened to you. And then if you go off into what looks like la la land um, and people can't get you back. And when you do finally come to, you're disoriented and you, you, literally feel like you just got taken out of hell for a moment. And now here you're supposed to start over again and explain it's, it's extremely difficult. So after a dissociative flashback, you feel exhausted. Yes. Yeah. I do. Do you feel exhausted after any sort of dissociation? So whether it's you're in a fugue state and you're now home do you feel that same fogginess or is it specifically after a flashback? No, I, I was, I lived a constant fogginess back then. It seemed like granted I wasn't getting sleep like I needed to either. Um, but yeah, it was, there was a constant fogginess. Um, but when I come out of a dissociative flashback, I'm, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like, um, you're trying to figure out where you are again, what's going on. What day is it? Like, why am I? I mean, all the things that and and you still physically or have you literally feel like you've just been raped. And so or whatever your flashback was in that moment. And so um, it's and you're exhausted. There would be times if depending on how long I was out would I mean, I would sleep for hours afterwards and typically sleep's extremely hard for me. So, I mean, it just. I guess my whole reason, and this is one of the things that started me on this journey of researching is realizing this is what I do when I, when I need to talk about the extreme yuck of what I've been through and coming up soon, you know, I'm going to have to be at a place where I need to be able to do that. And I don't want to dissociate into a flashback, um, for so many different reasons, but how do you stop it? I think that is the next question. So knowing this information is, is helpful, but what do you do with this information, right? That can allow you to come back to present state faster, stay in present state longer, incorporate some of these, either the fugue or the 
you know, personalities or the, you know, incorporate them into your personal persona. Now what is the question? Now, I'm going to share the things that I learned, right? Because so dissociation basically means that you're disconnected from current reality. Um, And sometimes we're disconnected to save ourselves, right? Because we don't want to be in current reality. Sometimes we need to be in current reality and we need to stay present and focused. And this is where all of the grounding techniques come in. And this is where I'm sure I remember you saying that when you first learned about them, you were like, this is so dumb. <laughs> but oh, whether it's so that. <laughs> ice, like you're, you know, a bucket of ice that your hand stays in or, you know, taking a look and being like, all right, where am I now? What's, you know, what do I see? What do I smell? What do I feel? What am I experiencing? Who's with me? What do I hear? You know, all your senses in the present moment. Um, but then engaging your senses with the ice or with uh, music or with other things that can bring you back to the present moment. Uh, the grounding techniques are what I learned to take support somebody who was not necessarily dissociating, but um, needed to be present in, and wasn't. So what have you learned that has been helpful? Um, the things for me that have helped is the bowl of ice water has been helpful and like, it's almost like a shock to my physical body, um, which helps lead me to coming back to the present. Um, there's been times when I know Therese, uh, granny has used like a wet rag or something on my face. Um, I know one of the things that I'm based off what I was reading, I think could be important for me is I think fear is part of what triggers me into that dissociative state. And so um, trying to keep myself from from trying to remember like what you were saying, the present, I'm safe, I am okay. This is not currently happening to me. Trying to keep that fear at bay, I think will help me not possibly go into the dissociative state. Um, so those, those things. And then of course, last, but definitely not least is just God saying, nope, we're, we're not going to go there. God's keeping the Holy Spirit's keeping me from that dissociative state and, um, leaning on him to get me through. So one of the things you've mentioned before, when you have flashbacks is that journaling really helps. Does journaling trigger you at all or talking about it is more triggering? Talking about it is more triggering. It, it all depends. Like, so for example, if I'm in control of what I'm sharing with you, I know where somewhat at this point in my life, I know where I can go and where I can't go. When I share my story, this is a great example. I can share my story for an hour and I'm not going to dissociate because I know where I can go and where I can't go. And I think that's what's I want people to understand as well. Like there's certain, it's almost like dark alleys that I'm afraid if I go there, I'm not going to come back out of for, for a while. And so when you can control the conversation, that's helpful. But if, if other people are asking questions or probing, or then you, you know, maybe telling you or asking you to go down a dark alley that you don't want to go down in your mind, that's when really practicing these skills is going to be helpful. Yes. I should just sit in a bath of ice cubes. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're going to bring a wet rag. <laughs> yeah. Because it sounds like you've learned already some skills that support you in staying present. It's now expanding that beyond what you already have been able to do. Well, so, and I think one of the skills that you learn is avoidance. Like you just don't go there um, unless you're in a safe place where you have somebody who can help keep you present or whatever. Like you just don't go there. Counseling obviously is a good place to go there. But um, yeah, when you're when you have to for the necessity of justice or, you know, something along those lines, learning how like I guess I just want officers to know I want judges and lawyers and all these people who are involved with survivors of this type of abuse and who are battling something like dissociation. It's not black and white. 
And as much as possible, I would love for them to become informed on this because what I studied said, you know, dissociation is one of the longest known ways of a mind dealing with trauma. Like this isn't something new. Um, and so accepting it and working with it, like it could be helpful to understand it. In fact, it would be helpful um, instead of classifying somebody as lying or crazy. Do you think, I know we've talked about this with hospital settings, but do you think it would be helpful in a court or police setting to be able to write if speaking isn't helpful yeah. or if speaking is triggering, would writing be an option? Yeah, I think that is a great idea. In fact, I think I have heard them allowing children to do that, I feel like. Okay. Because it is fascinating to think about writing is actually healing too. So when you have a flashback, it can be really helpful to write that flashback out and to get it all out on paper. It kind of moves it in your brain from front to memory. Um, talking is helpful, can be helpful as well. But it sounds like the first few times you talk, it, there needs to be some skills being used. The more you do it, the easier it gets, would you say? Um, probably. Yeah. I mean, but I also know like the things that I speak often of now, um, granted I've done it multiple times, but they're, I kind of am able to stay more surface level. Right. So they weren't necessarily the triggering pieces to begin with. Yeah. They're emotional, yeah. but not the triggering. Right. So what else? Well, it is, it is complicated. It's so complicated working with trauma survivors and understanding the brain of trauma. Um, but I also know that perpetrators bank on that. I mean, and, and that's how so many of them walk free is because of, in some degrees, the way that our brain reacts to trauma. And I just I wish and want our systems um, to kind of flip that script a little bit and become more understanding of what the brain actually does. Like somebody who's disassociating, you know, this is proof of something extreme happening at some point and getting to the bottom of it that way, instead of, we don't have time for this. This is too complicated, too much. Um, and I know they got a ton on their plate. And so I'm not, I don't want to sit back and judge, but you know, from a survivor standpoint, you want them to know, you want them to know, you want them to understand this stuff. So how helpful was it you for you to learn about dissociation in general and then more the specifically this deep dive? It felt like I had verbiage for what I had experienced, whereas before I didn't have words for it. Um, and when you don't have words for it, you begin to wonder, are they correct? Am I crazy? You know, is, is something wrong with me? Um, but being able to have words to to say exactly what it is. Um, there's a comfort in that for sure. And recognizing that you're not the only one, you know, yeah. I think oftentimes survivors who, especially when you're experiencing these types of types of things, it's not like you're asking your neighbor next door, do you ever have this? And yeah. so I can imagine it would be something that again, you feel alone. Um, and that's where you, the stewing can even get even worse and, and, and going, you know, and then you can go negative. So recognizing that this is how the brain works. This is how the brain has kept you safe for years. Mm -hmm. And now we need to work with the brain in order to allow for the present state to be front and center and allow you to go down some of these dark alleys without dissociating again. Yeah. I, I remember, like I had said earlier, reading through um, The Body Keeps the Score, and I would be like, Granny, look, like, this is it. This is why. This is why I am what I am. And her being like, I already, I know, like, I already believed you. You don't have to prove it to me. But apparently I needed to prove it more to myself probably than than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the grounding techniques, deep breathing, music, engaging your senses and what's happening now. That's why the ice and the washcloth are helpful, physical touch. Um, I know Granny, she used to like 
bonk you on the side of the head, get you back into, <laughs> I don't know if she ever used that strategy. Oh, she'll say something <laughs> loving, like snap out of it. <laughs> um, but music is super helpful. The writing, all of those things to engage your senses in the present moment. Yeah. And so yeah. then the question then comes, can you go down a dark alley while you're working to stay present? And will that merge the memory with the present moment so it deconnects that emotion from it or it doesn't take you down the rabbit hole of being triggered again? Yeah. And I can feel it in a sense of like how deep I am in it, because there's times when for the most part, when I'm in one of those dissociative flashbacks, I can still hear the people around me. Um, But there's a point where eventually if I get too deep, I can't like, and, and I, but like I can hear granny beside me and that's a comfort and that's a pulling me out of that deep um, valley or whatever I'm in at that moment um, to try to get back to present. And then if I'm able, I can share with you literally what I just experienced as if it happened right that moment. Um, okay. And to some degree that's super helpful. Right. Okay. So would you say that it's more helpful to be fully immersed where you can't hear anybody around you and experience it? Or is it helpful to be using the present skills, even in a dissociative flashback? Does that make sense? Kind of. Like part of me is like, well, is going deeper helping you at all? Is it it better to go deeper and then come back? Or is it better to stay present? The whole time. That's a great, I mean, because I mean, you'll get more surface level answers whenever you're completely present. I will say that. Um, be, but probably normal responses, like how any of us would remember something that happened 20 years ago. It's going to be somewhat surface level because you're not in it at the moment. Um, but whenever I, my brain takes me in it, uh, first of all, you're not going to get much out of me after that. Like I, I'll be able to explain some things, but yeah, I'll be um, exhausted. I had an investigator there for a while who would purposefully like send me into those states just so I could come back and give him information about what I had experienced. And that was extremely, extremely difficult. Um, And so it's not helpful. No. So you basically are dissociating into that full experience. You're feeling it again. But then when you come back out, you're exhausted, you're tired and you're not able to actually really. Because you were literally just assaulted. You know what I mean? Right. So staying present, even if you are going down a dark alley, is what's necessary for you to then recall what just happened. Yes. Yeah. Being able to. (laughs) Here and stay at least somewhat present um, is super important, but it's it's like a super fine line. Okay. Okay. So that will be the practice then, right? Is staying present while talking about the hard things. Yes. Exactly. And so with God, all things are possible. Yep. Yep. And so practicing it, and I know there's been times where before you, you did practice, you listened to things or, um, you know, kind of desensitized yourself to triggers where it no longer triggered you anymore. Mm -hmm. And so absolutely it's possible to, I would imagine a, like a big, huge spotlight in the alley, you know, you're like, I'm about to go down a dark alley. And then God's like, nope. Here's a lot of light for you. You're fine. (laughs) Ah, that's a really cool visualization. I like that. That's awesome. See if you can shine a light. Yep. Mm -hmm. Or like Jesus is holding my hand as we walk down it. Can it not be dark though? Like I I don't want it dark. (laughs) He's an angel and he lights up the whole room. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I do think it's... I don't know if this is important. I want to say it's important because it's important to me. But um, for people to know, like when somebody is going to court or going to the police station, or like there's more to it than just, you know, being able to say the words of what happened to you. There's so much more to it. There's so much trauma involved and added trauma from having to speak it. And so final words to a supporter 
who is working with family members who are survivors or a survivor herself who is trying to stay present and not be triggered into dissociative, whether it's a memory or an emotion, um, who wants to be able to speak her truth, but stay present in the process? Well, I think my advice to anybody in that moment would be, (sighs) I am somebody who likes to find answers. And I do, I dig and I dig to find answers. And I think that's great. But at the end of the day, God gives you the strength within you to, to be able to do this. And if he's calling you to it, he will get you through it. And so that's kind of what I have to be on repeat in my own mind is God is calling me to do this and he will give me the strength to do it. He will give me the ability to do it. And I will walk in trusting that. Um, so finding the answers, you know, scientifically or whatever, it maybe gives you a bit of a validation and like, you know, you're not alone, but also be reading up in God's word because you know, he's the answer and he will get you through it. He's going to be shining the light in those dark alleyways. He's my spotlight. (laughs) There you go. All right. I think we're onto something here. (laughs) All right, you guys. Well, we hope that this was helpful. It really is our desire to educate those about trauma and trafficking and the effects of trauma, but then also support those on the healing journey. So whether you are a supporter or a survivor, we hope that you uh, gain wisdom, knowledge, experience, et cetera, through uh, this podcast. So be sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment, let us know. It certainly does help the algorithm in getting this message out. We have a lot of really fun projects happening here at Stop Sis, and we just so appreciate you being here for the journey. So have an amazing day, you guys. Thank you, Rachel, and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this powerful episode of Stop Suffering in Silence. If you are interested in booking Rachel to speak at your school, your church, or on your podcast, then please email openblindeyes at protonmail.com. If you are interested in sponsoring a survivor on their healing journey and would like to donate to Stop Sis, then please check out the link in the description box or show notes below, or you can email stopsis at protonmail.com. And finally, if you are currently suffering in silence or you know somebody who is, whether they're dealing with a current trauma or one from the past, then we will always recommend that you reach out to your local resources and find a counselor that you can trust because nobody is meant to suffer alone. Have an amazing week and thank you for being here.